Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Yes, indeed, it is another episode of the podcast. This is version 36 of the show, and we have another good episode for you. A lot of stuff to get into. Uh, We had another major championship in in golf. Uh, Major League Baseball is off and running with their season. And, of course, plenty of other news and topics from the NHL uh, with the trade deadline that just passed, uh, the NBA, and, of course, the NFL always gives us plenty of information. So we'll go ahead and we'll start off in the PGA Tour. And this past weekend was the Masters Tournament. It was the 85th edition of the Masters, which is always held at Augusta National Golf Course in Augusta, Georgia. It was a par 72 course. And, of course, we had the best of the best in terms of the field. It's a major championship, so all the top-ranked golfers in the field were out there. But not all the top-ranked golfers finished the weekend. Uh, there were quite a few big-name golfers that missed the cut at this tournament. And some of those guys to miss the cut were Dustin Johnson, Patrick Cantlay, Brooks Kepka, whose status was in doubt for this tournament. He was basically playing on one knee with his recent knee surgery. Daniel Berger and Matt Kuchar. And also to miss the cut was Rory McIlroy. And McIlroy was all over the place. He actually, I believe it was the second round on Friday, he actually hit his dad uh, with a shot. I think it was his second shot. He overflew the green or hit the, it was wide of the green and ended up hitting his dad who was there as a spectator. So uh, pretty interesting uh, news there. But uh, the first round was very difficult for the golfers. Uh, The greens were super fast, very hard, and man, Justin Rose, he came out flying in that first round. He shot just a ridiculous 7-under 65 in the first round, which paced the field. He he had a, a four-shot lead after the first round. He shot a 30 on the back nine. He had six birdies on that back nine. Just an absurd day of golf given the circumstances and the conditions with the green. Rose actually led the field after the first two rounds. Um, which tied Jack Nicholas for the most first-round leads or co-leads in the history of the Masters. So good company there for Justin Rose. But the round one scoring averages this year, as opposed to what we saw just five months ago in November at the 2020 Masters, was just incredible. Uh, In November, the first-round scoring average was 71.4, so that was slightly under par. Well, this past weekend... 2021 Masters, the first round scoring average was 74.5, which was two and a half shots over par. Uh, Very difficult. And uh, I told you uh, last week on the preview of the Masters that the scoring was going to be very difficult this week, and we were not going to get any scores near what Dustin Johnson did last 
year five months ago um, with a 20 under that won it. He set the scoring record at the Masters. I knew that that was just not that was not going to happen this past weekend. And man, was I right about that. Uh, because in last year's Masters in November, uh, the combined first round score for the players was uh, 54 under par. This year, it was 222 over par. So a vast, very substantial difference. Difference of about uh, 275-ish uh, shots, basically, was a combined score. And also, in November last year, in the first round, uh, there were 53 rounds under par in the first round, with 24 of those being in the 60s. This year, there were only 12 rounds under par in that first round, with three rounds in the 60s. So again, just you could see how it was very evident that this year's Masters was not going to be uh, the scoring fest that it was last year. And round three actually got suspended for about an hour and 20 minutes due to thunderstorms in the area. Now, it didn't rain that bad on the course. They did get some rain in that third round, which did help slow the greens down a little bit. Uh, But who that didn't slow down was Hideki Matsuyama, because when it was all said and done, Hideki Matsuyama was your winner of the Masters with the score of 10 under par. It was his first career major championship, first ever Japanese-born golfer to win a major championship in men's golf. Now, Hideki Matsuyama was actually the low amateur uh, here at Augusta back in 2011. So his victory here in 2021 makes Matsuyama the seventh low amateur to eventually win the Masters. And he joined the likes of Sergio Garcia, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, Ben Crenshaw, and Jack Nicklaus uh, as winners that were previous low amateurs in the Masters. Now, Hideki Matsuyama, I mentioned Saturday, the weather delay. He's about the only one that didn't get affected because... Uh, He ended up shooting a 7-under 65, bogey-free on Saturday. And that was the first round of the tournament that was bogey-free. Just very impressive. Uh, He he carried a four-shot lead into Sunday's final round. He ended up shooting a a 1-over 73 on Sunday. But that was still plenty good uh, to save his victory. Now, second place was Will Zalatoris. Nine under par. Just one shot back of Matsuyama. Zalatoris, man, that kid, you saw all the memes, or maybe you haven't, uh, but if you if you follow golf, you're on social media, I'm sure you have, of Will Zalatoris. He's 24 years old, and he looks just like uh, Happy Gilmore's first caddy, uh, the young kid uh, with the, the blonde, curly hair. He, Zalatoris looks just like him, so you, you've probably seen all the memes about that. But Zalatoris, man, he is a superb ball striker, he just played very good and consistent golf. He was actually the only golfer all weekend to shoot under par in all four rounds. And the strange thing about Zalatoris is that he doesn't even have his PGA Tour card yet. He's been playing on the Corn Ferry Tour, and because of his performance uh, on the PGA Tour thus far as a sponsor exemption, uh, he actually has a permanent sponsor's exemption. So, I would assume that he will get his PGA Tour card very soon, but he he was fantastic all weekend, and he he was uh, I think in that third to last group, 
uh, on Sunday. So he finished before Matsuyama did. Matsuyama had a few late bogeys. Uh, so that kind of that brought Matsuyama down to ten under, uh, but Zalatoris was was in the clubhouse at nine under, hoping that Matsuyama would uh, bogey eighteen, which uh, didn't happen. But um, good weekend for Zalatoris. We had a uh, two way tie for third. That was Jordan Spieth and Xander Shoffley, both shot seven under par, two shots back of Zalatoris. Now with Spieth, just another solid performance at the Masters. Uh, he won this this thing back in 2015, and Spieth proves, man, he just he he loves this course. He always plays well, and he actually had a legitimate chance to catch Matsuyama on Sunday, uh, but but Spieth had three bogeys on the front nine, which uh, kind of sank his ship on that. Just too much to make up. But this tournament, it did basically confirm, uh, as if recent tournaments haven't. Uh, that Spieth is officially back. His he's jumped up, you know, roughly 25, 30 spots in the official World Golf rankings here over the last uh, month and a half. Just the dude is firing on all cylinders, and he's he's officially back as a top-ranked golfer in the world with the way he's playing. Now with Xander Shoffley, he was in the final pairing with Matsuyama both on Saturday and on Sunday, and it looked like Xander was going to. Uh, catch and pass Matsuyama in that final round on Sunday because Xander had four birdies in a row but between holes 12 and 15 on Sunday but then he got to the buzzsaw that is the par 3 16th and he ended up plunking his tee shot in the water made a triple bogey on 16 and really just that hole cost Xander Shoffley the green jacket because I think uh, had he had he been uh, at par on that hole, his final score would have would have tied uh, Hideki Matsuyama. But that's a tough break. I I predicted uh, several episodes back that Xander Shoffley is going to win a major championship this year. Uh, he was very very close this year, uh, this tournament here, the Masters. But he's got three more cracks at it um, with the PGA, the U.S., and the British Open. We also had a two-way tie for fifth place. That was John Rahm and Mark Leishman, both at six under. John Rahm, he shot even par 72 the first three rounds and then came out on Sunday and fired a bogey-free six under 66, which was fantastic. He was actually three under through the first two holes, and that just he just catapulted right up to the top of the leaderboard. And this was his fourth consecutive Masters finishing inside the top 10, which is the longest active streak uh, for that. So the dude, again, he's the, th- the third-ranked golfer in the world for a reason. He's got all the game in the world, and uh, he will win several major championships by the time his career is over. He just has not won one yet. Now, Mark Leishman, he was another guy. He just played good golf all weekend. It looked like he possibly had a chance to catch Matsuyama as well on Sunday, uh, but then he went out and fired a, a two over on the front nine, 38, which, again, like Spieth, it was just kind of too much to catch up. He had four bogeys on the day uh, on Sunday en route to a, a plus 173. But as far as Rick's picks to click, let's check those out for the Masters. The first one I gave you was Cameron Smith. Uh, he had come into this thing, his previous four starts, he had finished no worse than uh, T-17 in any of those four tournaments. 
and he finished tied for second last last year here in November at the Masters. Uh, just been playing really, really good golf lately. He finished uh, tied for 10th at three under par. He was actually two over par after round one, but then uh, went four four under on Friday and two under on Sunday. Get him uh, to that uh, three under final score, which is another top 10 finish for Cameron Smith here at the Masters. So I clicked on Smith. My second pick to click for the Masters was John Rahm. Uh, we just talked about him, and he ended up T5 at 6-under. So uh, he just seems destined to win a major very soon. So I definitely, he was he finished tied for fifth, so I clicked on Rahm. My final pick to click that I gave you for the Masters was Justin Thomas. He, uh, he had won the Players' Championship uh, about a month, month and a half prior to the Masters uh, after dealing with some major personal issues. And he, believe it or not, he's only won one major championship. He has uh, 12 wins on tour in his career, but only one of them is a major championship. And he's another guy that just seems like he's going to win multiple major championships and definitely win a green jacket one day. But Thomas finished at even par for the tournament, which was tied for 21st. He shot uh, one over on Thursday and then Friday just came out with a 5-under 67. So was firing on all cylinders on Friday. But then on both of his weekend rounds, Saturday and Sunday, he was over par. He was 3-over on Saturday and 1-over uh, on Sunday. And that just dropped him like a rock on the leaderboard, bringing him back down to even par. But he finished tied for 21st. So I did click on Justin Thomas because all three of those guys, Smith, Rahm, and Thomas, they all finished inside that top 25. So I did click on all three of my picks for the Masters. But this weekend, the PGA Tour heads heads up to Hilton Head Island, South Carolina for the RBC Heritage, which is the uh, at Harbortown Golf Links. It's a par 71, distance 7,121 yards. And if you recall, last year, the RBC Heritage at Harbortown was one of the first few tournaments that the PGA played after their restart uh, for the for the COVID pause. So Webb Simpson ended up winning that tournament. And this year's field is actually pretty good, uh, considering it's the week after a major championship. It's pretty rare to get a good field in a tournament that's immediately following a major championship. But some of the guys in the field this week include Dustin Johnson, Colin Morikawa, Will Zalatoris, Tommy Fleetwood, Patrick Cantlay, and, of course, last year's champion, Webb Simpson. So it'll be a good weekend of golf. Harbortown's a, a nice course on Hilton Head Island. And uh, let's check out Rick's picks to click for the RBC Heritage. Start off with Abraham Answer. He's ranked number 32 in the world. And he has five top 25 finishes and finished last week tied for 26th at the Masters uh, so far in 2021. So... Uh, he's actually second on tour in fairways hit and 14th on tour in greens and regulation. And he was the runner-up here with a T2 finish last year at the RBC Heritage. Um, he's still seeking that elusive first career PGA Tour victory, but he was oh so close last year in this tournament, and I don't see why he won't finish inside the top 25 this week. My second pick to click is Will Zalatoris. We talked about him a little bit ago. He's ranked number 27 in the world, 
dude doesn't even have his PGA Tour card, and he's the 27th ranked golfer in the world. Just unbelievable. He's coming off that amazing runner-up performance last week at the Masters. He's actually never played here at Harbortown, uh, but inexperience uh, clearly has not mattered to Zalatoris all season. And Harbortown actually is an excellent course for his elite ball striking. So I, uh, he's fifth in strokes uh, gained approach the green and fourth in strokes gained tee to green. So I don't see any reason why Zalatoris won't finish outside the top 25. Uh, but my final pick to click this week for the RBC Heritage is Tyrell Hatton. He's ranked number eight in the world, and he's coming off a top 20 performance at the Masters, uh, which was his sixth top 20 finish in eight events worldwide so far in 2021. And Hatton was actually the uh, 54-hole co-leader at this tournament last year before finishing T3. And he's tied for 14th in proximity to the hole. So I think Hatton has a really good chance to win. He played well here last year. And uh, he's been kind of quiet as of late, although he does have six top 20s in his eight starts this year. But uh, it's going to be another good tournament, a beautiful course in South Carolina. So tune into that one because it'll be uh, definitely worth watching this weekend. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball. And we are officially off and running with the baseball season. And this past week, we had two no-hitters that were thrown, uh, which is, is great to have two in the same week. The first one uh, was San Diego Padres pitcher Joe Musgrove. He threw a no-hitter with 10 strikeouts against the Texas Rangers uh, in a 3 nothing victory. And believe it or not, uh, Joe Musgrove, he, he grew up in San Diego and The Padres, in their 53-year history as a franchise, have never thrown a no-hitter. That's 8,206 games that they had played as a franchise without having a no-hitter thrown. So for the hometown kid, Musgrove, to throw one, that was a thrill of a lifetime. He was completely dominant. As you guys well know, know, my team is the Texas Rangers. They're a pitiful team so far this year. Well, they're a pitiful team, period. They've just... They've really shown it this year. They got shut out in back-to-back games this week. Not looking great, so I wouldn't say that was the toughest test Musgrove's ever had. However, to throw a no-hitter is still very special. But the other no-hitter was from Chicago White Sox pitcher Carlos Rodon, who threw a no-hitter with seven strikeouts against the Cleveland Indians in an 8-0 victory. And Rodon actually had a perfect game with two outs, in the ninth inning, but then he threw an inside slider that actually dropped and hit the batter in the foot. So the batter got to take first base, of course, which ruined the perfect game. But the very next batter grounded out to third, which preserved the no hitter. Uh, now, interestingly enough, Carlos Rodon is the first ever pitcher in, in baseball history uh, that was born in Miami to throw a no hitter. So. Uh, very, you know, with how many, with, with the, the hotbed of baseball being, you know, in the, that region of the world, uh, Miami, Cuba, and the Caribbean, that, that whole area. Interesting that no other pitcher from Miami is throwing a no-hitter, but it was the uh, 20th no-hitter in White Sox franchise history and was the second in the last two years. Uh, if you recall, Lucas Giolito threw one 
last season for the White Sox. But we'll get into a standings update here in Major League Baseball. We didn't do it last week, but we'll start off in the American League. In the AL East, the Boston Red Sox are 9-3. and three. The Toronto Blue Jays, my pick to win the American League, 6-6. Uh, six and six. Baltimore Orioles, 5-6. and six. They are ahead of the New York Yankees currently, who are 5-7. and seven. And the Tampa Bay Rays are also 5-7. and seven. In the AL Central, the Kansas City Royals are 6-4. and four. Cleveland Indians, 6-5. Six and five. Chicago White Sox, 6-6. Six and six. Detroit Tigers, 6-6. Six and six. Minnesota Twins, 5-7. Now, the Los Angeles, uh, in the American League West, Los Angeles Angels, 7-5. Seattle Mariners, 6-5. Houston Astros, 6-6. Six six. Oakland A's and the Texas Rangers, both at 5-7. Now, in the National League, the NL East, the most competitive division in baseball that I've said uh, all offseason. The New York Mets currently are 5-3. and three. They're winning. They haven't played as many games because they uh, their first opening series against the Nationals was postponed due to COVID. But they're 5-3. and three. Philadelphia Phillies, 6-6. Six and six. Miami Marlins, 5-6. and six. Uh, Atlanta Braves, 4-8. and eight. Washington Nationals, 3-6. and six. In the NL Central... Cincinnati Reds and Milwaukee Brewers are both 7-5. St. Louis Cardinals are 6-6. The Chicago Cubs and the Pittsburgh Pirates, both 5-7. Best team in baseball comes to us in the National League West. The L.A. Dodgers are 10-2. San Francisco Giants, 8-4. San Diego Padres, 8-5. Arizona Diamondbacks, 4-8. And the worst team in baseball at the moment is the Colorado Rockies at 3-9. and nine. So the season is very young. Still, obviously, a ton of games left to get to. But I'm super excited. This baseball season's already given us uh, lots, of, uh, lots of drama, lots of interesting stuff. And I uh, look forward to uh, continuing that season. And, uh, of course, I'm in fantasy baseball, so I'm you know, paying attention daily and adjusting my lineups. And it's just good to have baseball back uh, in a normal setting with fans in the stands. Uh, But we'll move over to the National Hockey League and we'll do a standings update there. And the trade deadline was this past week. And we'll get into that in Around the Island here shortly. But we'll start off in the Honda West Division. The Colorado Avalanche are 39-4. They have the most points in the NHL. They've been on a tear. Uh, they've won nine out of their last ten, four in a row. The Vegas Golden Knights are 29-11-2. They've also won four games in a row. Minnesota Wild, 25-13-3. St. Louis Blues, 19-17-6. The Arizona Coyotes, man, they've lost five in a row. They're 19-20-5. San Jose Sharks, 18, 20, and 4. They've lost three in a row. Los Angeles Kings, 16, 20, and 6. Anaheim Ducks, 14, 23, and 7. In the Mass Mutual East Division, some big trades. Uh, all the top teams in this division made, a, made a, at least one accusation, uh, acquisition rather, in the uh, trade deadline here this past week. The Washington Capitals... Uh, are still currently atop the division at 28-11-4, three-game win streak. New York Islanders, 
27-11-4. Pittsburgh Penguins, 27-13-2. They're on a three-game win streak as well. Boston Bruins, 22-12-6. New York Rangers, 20-16-6. Philadelphia Flyers, 19-17-6. The New Jersey Devils, they've lost three in a row. They're 14-21-6. And the Buffalo Sabres, my goodness, they're 10-25-7. Now, they had a big injury happen. This Well, their captain, Jack Eichel, he's been out for a while with... Uh, a neck injury and this past week they came out and announced that he is done for the year with that neck injury not that he is going to miss anything because the Sabres are well on their way to uh, winning the draft lottery as the worst uh, worst team in the league but that's kind of you know it's a big loss for the Sabres and you know Jack Eichel personally he didn't get traded at the deadline there was rumors he may get traded Uh, and if I was him I would probably ask for a trade but Uh, They're hanging on to Eichel, but he is done for the year. In the Scotia North Division, Toronto Maple Leafs, 28-11-4. Winnipeg Jets, 26-14-3. Edmonton Oilers, 25-15-2. Montreal Canadiens, 18-13-9. I feel those top four have been the same for the last several weeks. Uh, The Calgary Flames are fifth in that division at 19-21-3. They've won three games in a row. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks, they haven't played in about three weeks uh, because of uh, a COVID outbreak on their team. They had 22 players and staff members test positive uh, for COVID, and it was the uh, Brazilian variant of the virus, which is supposedly more contagious than the uh, original strand. But they're getting uh, close to returning to action uh, in this next week. Uh, but they haven't played in a while. They're they're they've only played 37 games, which is the fewest in that division. They're 16, 18, and three. They're still ahead of the Ottawa Senators, who are 14, 26, and four. Now in the Discover Central Division, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes are 27, 10, and four. They've won six out of their last ten. Tampa Bay Lightning 28, 12, and two. Florida Panthers. 27, 12, and 4. They've won 7 out of their last 10. And the hottest team in this division, the Nashville Predators, they've won 8 out of their last 10 to move up to 24, 19, and 1. Chicago Blackhawks, 20, 18, and 5. And the Dallas Stars, 15, 14, and 12. Just, uh, their record, you know, of course, they're my favorite team. I've You guys know that by now as well. They just are stuck in neutral. And I think the best rival... I saw a meme that said the best rivalry in the NHL right now is the Dallas Stars versus overtime. Uh, because they have they lead the league in 12 overtime losses. Overtime or shootout losses. And it's just... It's, it's as though as the, the Stars will get to overtime and then they'll lose. It, it's just a guaranteed loss if they get to overtime. But their record is very strange. They are the most mediocre team in the NHL which is very surprising because they were the Western Conference champions last year in the bubble. And the news got even more grim for the Stars this past week because the Stars announced that goalie Ben Bishop and forward Alexander Radulov are both going to miss the rest of the season with injuries. Uh, Ben Bishop had off-season surgery on his hip. He hasn't played all year. And with the emergence of goalie Jake Ottinger for the Stars, um, I, I don't see why Bishop would need to come back, and truthfully, I would not be surprised if Bishop got traded in the offseason. 
with the way that Ottinger's played because he is the future of the Stars in net. Now, with Alex Radulov, he's played on and off this year. He started the season on the team. He got hurt, missed some time, about a month, uh, came back for a few games, and then has been out since. And he ended up, they announced that he's going to be having core muscle surgery uh, this week or next week, very soon. And he's going to miss the rest of this season, but he will be ready for the 2021-2022 season. So the Stars are sixth in the Central. Seventh is the Columbus Blue Jackets at 15, 20, and 9. They've only won two out of their last seven. They traded their captain, Nick Foligno. We'll get into that in a minute. It's uh, That's a dumpster fire. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings, they were probably the big winners at the trade deadline. They are 15, 23, and 6, riding a two-game win streak. And like I said, we're, uh, we're getting close. The NHL regular season's 56 games, and most of the teams have played between 42 to 46-ish games, uh, 42 to 45 games, we'll say. And the fewest games played, of course, like I mentioned, the Vancouver Canucks. They are now officially the team with the fewest games played, but that's because they haven't played uh, in a few weeks. But, yeah, NHL season's wrapping up quicker than, than you know, we're really realizing, I guess, because the Stanley Cup playoffs are going to be starting here soon after the next uh, 17, 18 games get played here in the NHL. But we'll move on to the National Basketball Association, and we'll do a standings update in the NBA. In the Eastern Conference... The Philadelphia 76ers have overtaken the Brooklyn Nets. They're 38-17. and 17. They've won three in a row. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets just actually lost. They're 37-18, and 18, just one game back. They actually lost to the 76ers on Wednesday night in a head-to-head matchup, but they did not have Kevin Durant, James Harden, LaMarcus Aldridge, or Blake Griffin play in that game. Uh, they've still won seven out of their last ten. Milwaukee Bucks are 34-20. and 20. Atlanta Hawks, 30-25. and 25. They've won seven out of their last ten. The Boston Celtics are 29-26. and 26. They've also won seven out of their last ten, four in a row. The New York Knicks, they've won four in a row. They're 29-27. and 27. Miami Heat, 28-27. and 27. Charlotte Hornets are the eighth seed, currently at 27-27 and 27 after having lost three in a row. Indiana Pacers, 26-28. and 28. Chicago Bulls 22 and 32. They've lost four in a row. Toronto Raptors 22 and 34. Washington Wizards 21 and 33. Cleveland Cavaliers 20 and 34. Orlando Magic 18 and 37. And the Detroit Pistons 16 and 39. They've lost three in a row. Now in the Western Conference, the Utah Jazz still are up top at. 41 and 14, just a ridiculous record. But the Phoenix Suns, they are not going away. They're 39 and 15. They've won nine out of their last 10. They're just hanging around, man. They're they're going to be a top three seed when it's all said and done. The uh, Los Angeles Clippers are third, 39 and 18. They've won seven in a row, uh, looking really good. Uh, Denver Nuggets, 35 and 20. They've won eight out of their last 10. Uh, and they acquired Aaron Gordon at the deadline. He's made a huge difference. But they got devastating news the other day when point guard Jamal Murray tore his left ACL 
in a game against Golden State. He's going to miss the rest of the year. Like I said, just a massive blow to the Nuggets. They're the fourth seed currently, and they looked like they were going to be a top three seed the way that they had been playing. Now, the Los Angeles Lakers are the fifth seed at 34-21. and 21. They've won six out of their last ten. They haven't had LeBron James in two weeks. They haven't had Anthony Davis in about a month. Both of them are, uh, well, Davis is a little closer to returning than LeBron, but they're just kind of treading water at the moment. Not, you know, they're, I guess they're doing an okay job of that. They're not really sinking beyond that fifth seed, but uh, it'll be interesting to see where they end up. Portland Trailblazers, 31-23. and 23. Dallas Mavericks, 30-24. and 24. They've won seven out of their last ten. Luka Doncic, game-winning buzzer beater against the Memphis Grizzlies on Wednesday night was just unbelievable. He was falling forward from beyond the arc, kind of threw up like a prayer, like a floater, and it just dropped in to win uh, against those Memphis Grizzlies, who are the eighth seed at 27 and 26. Golden State Warriors are 27 and 28. They've won three in a row. Steph Curry has caught fire. Uh, he's had uh, he had back-to-back 40-point games, and uh, they got some bad news though because their rookie center, second overall pick James Wiseman, he uh, underwent surgery this week to repair a meniscus injury in his right knee and Warriors head coach Steve Kerr said that there's no timeline for that injury so he's not sure when Wiseman's going to be back and Wiseman's been a key piece to that that offense and defense really with with his rebounding ability so they'll definitely miss him San Antonio Spurs are 26 and 27 New Orleans Pelicans 25 and 30 Sacramento Kings 22 and 33. They've lost eight in a row. Oklahoma City Thunder are 20 and 35. They've also lost eight in a row. They've only won once in their last 10. Houston Rockets, they've lost four in a row. They're uh, 14 and 41. And the Minnesota Timberwolves are 14 and 42. So the Rockets have finally sank low enough to catch the Minnesota Timberwolves for that last spot in the West. Just a complete atrocity of a season for the Rockets who traded James Harden and it's just been downhill ever since but the NBA season still has about 20 games it's 72 game regular season so they got about 20 games left interesting to see how that's going to play out here in these final uh, month and a half or so but we'll move on to our segment called around the island and that's where we do some quick hit news from around the various sports and we'll start off in the National Hockey League and this past week, the NHL trade deadline passed. Uh, there were obviously a ton of trades. Uh, we'll get you caught up here on the noteworthy trades, at least names that you might recognize. Uh, the first one, the Detroit Red Wings, they were very active at the deadline as, as sellers. Uh, they traded defenseman Patrick Nemeth to the Colorado Avalanche in exchange for a fourth-round pick this year. And the Red Wings also sent probably one of their best forwards, Anthony Mantha, to the Washington Capitals in exchange for Jakob Vrana, Richard Panic, a first-round pick this year, and a second-round pick next year in 2022. Very good haul for Anthony Mantha. Now, Mantha's a great player, but they got a four-for-one, including uh, two immediate starters for the Red Wings uh, and a first-round pick this year. So great deal there by Steve Eisman, the GM of the uh, Detroit Red Wings. Colorado also acquired defenseman Greg Patteron, uh, and a fifth-round pick in this year's draft. 
to the San Jose Sharks in exchange for goalie Devin Dubnik. And then there was a three-team trade that involved the San Jose Sharks, Columbus Blue Jackets, and Toronto Maple Leafs. In that trade, the Maple Leafs, they received Columbus Blue Jackets captain Nick Foligno and forward Stefan Noessen. And Columbus, they received a first-round pick in this year's draft, a fourth-round pick in next year's draft. And then the Sharks just ended up with a fourth-round pick uh, in this upcoming draft. The Ottawa Senators, they traded defenseman Braden Coburn to the New York Islanders, uh, who are in a playoff hunt there for the East. Uh, The Islanders got a seventh, uh, rather the Senators got a seventh-round pick in next year's draft in return. Uh, The Maple Leafs, they weren't done there acquiring Nick Foligno. They went out and got goalie David Riddich from the Calgary Flames in exchange for a 2022 third-round pick. Riddich was an all-star last year for the Flames. Um, Pretty good value for a next year's third-round pick. Uh, Frederick Anderson still dealing with an injury. Jack Campbell's been on fire. Uh, He won like his first 11 starts as a Leafs goalie. But uh, Riddich is a good backup especially for uh, a a long-expected playoff run uh, deep into the playoffs. Uh, Boston and Buffalo, the Bruins and the Sabres, they made a big trade. The Boston Bruins, they acquired former number one overall pick Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar uh, from the Sabres in exchange for forwards Anders Bjork and a second-round pick in this year's draft. Again, I think that's... The Bruins stole Taylor Hall. Uh, He can still play. Uh, He's a former number one overall pick just not long ago, and uh, he kind of wore out his welcome in in Edmonton, signed with the Sabres, didn't really do much with the Sabres because that team is such trash. But he'll be a good piece for the Bruins, who, again, are another team that have high expectations heading into the playoffs. Uh, In that same division, the Pittsburgh Penguins, they acquired forward Jeff Carter from the Los Angeles Kings in exchange for a third-round pick in next year's draft and a fourth-round pick in 2023. So again, Jeff Carter's a former 40-goal scorer in this league. Uh, He's not quite that same player, but he does bring a good, solid second- or third-line presence there to the Penguins. The Flames also made another, the Calgary Flames made another trade. They traded with the Florida Panthers. Florida acquired Sam Bennett and a sixth-round pick in next year's draft in exchange for a second-round pick in this uh, well, in the 2022 draft and uh, prospect Emil Heineman, who was actually a second-round pick in the 2020 draft. And the last big trade was another three-teamer. It involved Columbus again, the Blue Jackets, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Tampa Bay, they got uh, David Savard and Brian Lashoff. Columbus got another first-round pick this year and a third-round pick next year, and the Detroit Red Wings only managed to get a fourth-round pick uh, in this year's draft. So a lot of movement, a lot of trades. A lot of, you heard of several Canadian teams made some deals, uh, and then the East Mass Mutual East Division of Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and New York Islanders, they, uh, they were all buyers at the, at the deadline uh, trying to uh, – you know, get their lineup situated for the playoffs. So uh, it'll be interesting to see these last, uh, you know, 15 or so games that take place here in the NHL. But we'll move over to the National Football League. And the NFL sent out a memo this week to the league uh, encouraging and rewarding teams and players to get fully vaccinated. 
And in that memo, the NFL basically said that any team employee, uh, players and coaches and staff who refuses a COVID vaccine without a bona fide medical or religious ground will be barred from tier one and tier two status and thus have restricted access within the team facility, um, which for the staffers, that will cause them to not be able to work directly with the players. So your tier one and tier two status, basically kind of like we talked about, um, I believe last week's episode with the NBA, loosening the restrictions, allowing players to gather at family functions and uh, have family travel with them and uh, be able to eat out in public at restaurants. So if, if NFL personnel aren't getting their vaccines, they're not going to be able to do that. But the folks that are getting their vaccines, they will be able to do that. So I think that's good. That's, that's the NFL's way of encouraging vaccination and um, helping keep the NFL on the field more so than it was this year even. Uh, we have an uh, announcement from the New England Patriots. They released wide receiver Julian Edelman after 11 seasons. Now, Edelman, his uh, release was based on the fact that he was going to announce his retirement. Um, if indeed Edelman retires, he, he had one heck of a career with the New England Patriots. He played 11 seasons. He was a three-time Super Bowl champion and the Super Bowl MVP in 2018. He finished his career with 620 receptions, 6,822 receiving yards, 41 touchdowns. And he also, probably his most impressive stat, came in the postseason. He had 118 postseason catches for 1,442 yards, which is second most in the Super Bowl era behind only Jerry Rice. And that's not to mention that Julian Edelman was a seventh-round draft pick out of Kent State University, where he played quarterback in college. And Edelman didn't even receive any scholarships in high school. Um, So I don't know if Edelman's resume is going to get him into the Hall of Fame if he does retire, but uh, he certainly uh, may be in contention for a spot in the Hall, just given the circumstances surrounding his... um, you know, uh, college career at a, at a, you know, lower level school and the fact that he was not really recruited at all. But there were a couple of, uh, several important free agent signings this past week in the NFL. The biggest one was, uh, former number one overall pick defensive end Jadavian Clowney. He signed a one year, $10 million deal with the Cleveland Browns. That's going to pair him with another former number one overall pick, Miles Garrett. So that just makes that Cleveland defensive line scary. Uh, that that boosts their defense. They won 11 games last year and won their first playoff game. And signing Clowney only improves their defense. And that is huge for the Browns. I think that, I think that signing uh, might win the Browns the division if they get the Clowney of yesteryear and not the one of the past couple years. But this signing also makes the Cleveland Browns the first team since the 2002 Washington Redskins to have two former number one overall picks on the same team. So very interesting there. Clowney's been dealing with some injuries the last couple seasons, has not been himself, but if he can be half the player he was uh, coming out of South Carolina, uh, they are getting a good one there in Cleveland. But another defensive end, Alden Smith, He signed a one-year deal with the Seattle Seahawks. Of course, he was on the Dallas Cowboys last year. They gave him a chance. And for probably the first five games or so, he was really making an impact. And then he just kind of 
fell off a cliff and was kind of non-existent after about week five. So, but he still has a little bit of juice left in the tank. So uh, if there's anybody that knows how to get the best out of their guys, it's Pete Carroll there in Seattle. A wide receiver Cordero Patterson signed a one-year $3 million deal with the Atlanta Falcons. He's a wide receiver slash running back slash kick returner. The guy can do it all. He's got elite speed. He's a four-time pro bowler as a kick returner. And uh, Falcons have quite a bit of weapons uh, on the offense, and he just uh, fits right in to that offense. They also have the fourth pick in the draft. I've seen many a mock drafts that uh, give Kyle Pitts to the Falcons. Uh, that would just be even scarier. But uh, a couple of running backs signed. Giovanni Bernard signed a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So he will back up. Uh, longtime Cincinnati Bengal. He's going to back up Leonard Fournette there in Tampa Bay and Ronald Jones. So not really sure. I guess they're just they're just getting really good running back depth. It was probably a cheap deal. I don't have the numbers, but um, Bernard's kind of on the back half of his career anyways. So I think he's just trying to get a Super Bowl ring. And then running back James Conner, Pittsburgh Steelers old running back. He's kind of been dealing with some injuries through his career as well, but he did have a great season a couple years ago. He signed a one-year contract with the Arizona Cardinals. Now keep in mind, the Cardinals lost Kenyon Drake to free agency to the Las Vegas Raiders. So uh, Connor effectively fills that void that Kenyon Drake leaves. So he will probably be the starter there for the Cardinals. Of course, you got Chase Edmonds there as well. Now, speaking of the Cardinals, interesting note here. The Cardinals' uh, two, uh, 2020 offseason acquisition of wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, that acquisition received the Alpha Award for the Best Sports Transaction of the Year from the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, which I didn't even know that was a thing, but uh, apparently they award Best Sports Transaction of the Year, and all you had to do was watch the Cardinals last year uh, and that Hail Murray play when uh, DeAndre Hopkins came up with the ball on a Hail Mary thrown by Kyler Murray in the end zone that he jumped over three Buffalo Bills defenders to haul it in for the game-winning touchdown. So, yeah, I mean, Hopkins is obviously a, he's a monster wide receiver, and uh, I, I don't have any issues with that being the best acquisition uh, in the offseason. But now on to some legal trouble, the, the old legal trouble section of the NFL. Uh, Deshaun Watson, that thing's still going on. His attorney filed a motion with the courts requesting that the victims identify themselves in order to have any standing in court, in order to basically substantiate their uh, lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. And the court granted that, so the witnesses were forced to identify themselves. And since that, at least one of the victims has dropped their case against Deshaun Watson. So that's finally some positive news for Watson, but he still has a whole bunch of stuff going on there. But some other legal news out of the NFL deals with the Los Angeles Rams, all-pro defensive tackle Aaron Donald. Donald was apparently involved in an altercation in a Pittsburgh-area bar over the weekend in which one person has claimed that he was assaulted by Aaron Donald. And the victim, his name is DeVincent Spriggs. Spriggs claimed that on uh, April 11th at an after-hours club, he got into an altercation with Aaron Donald and said that Aaron Donald bumped into him assaulted him, gave him a broken nose and uh, 16 stitches on his face. And Spriggs posted a picture on social media uh, of that, of his face, uh, claiming that Aaron Donald did that. So 
that's going to go to the court. And, uh, you know, whether or not Donald gets convicted, he is still subject to the NFL's personal conduct policy. So that's going to be interesting to see if, uh, if he faces any discipline because the last thing the Rams need is for Aaron Donald to miss any time uh, because he is the heart and soul of that Rams defense. And the final piece of NFL news deals with the NFL draft, which is set to begin here in just two short weeks. Can't wait. It's one of my favorite events throughout the entire year. First round is Thursday, April 29th. And on the past couple episodes, I've talked about some of the festivities that are going to be going on in the city of Cleveland, who is hosting the draft this year. Well, uh, this past week, the NFL announced that Grammy-winning band Kings of Leon will be opening draft night festivities on Thursday, April 29th, with a performance, live performance in person uh, in the city of Cleveland for the fans and players that are in attendance. And it's just nice to see that the NFL draft's getting back to normal. Um, there's been a lot of top projected picks that uh, have announced they will be in attendance. And then there's also been some that are going to be staying at home with their families doing the virtual method, which we saw all of last year. Um, top pick Trevor Lawrence has already announced, or projected top pick Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he's already announced that um, he is staying at the University of Clemson and uh, we'll be staying with his family and friends there. But um, I'm just ready for the draft. You know, I've been looking and reading through all these mock drafts, and uh, once we get closer here, maybe uh, in the next uh, couple episodes, we'll we'll go over some some of the top names and, and prospects just to get you familiar with them if you're not already. But we'll move over to the NBA. And kind of an interesting note here in the NBA uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Famer Alex Rodriguez, he has partnered with billionaire businessman Mark Lohr to purchase the Minnesota Timberwolves franchise. And the purchase price of the Timberwolves was around $1.5 billion, and it gives A-Rod and Lohr full control of the team in 2023. So uh, they purchased the team and what's funny is a rookie guard, Anthony Edwards, he was the top overall pick in this past NBA draft. He was asked about the ownership change, and his response was just absolutely epic. Uh, Anthony Edwards said he did not know who Alex Rodriguez was and that he didn't know anything about baseball. He just knew that he was one of the owners of the team. Now, I couldn't tell if he was being truthful or if he was joking, but Either way, Anthony Edwards is only 19 years old, so he might actually be telling the truth because A-Rod hasn't played uh, in a while, uh, but I I just find it hard to believe you don't know who Alex Rodriguez is uh, as a professional athlete. But either way, that was pretty funny. Uh, Definitely classic there. But uh, interesting uh, development here that happened uh, Wednesday into Thursday, I guess, this past week. Brooklyn Nets forward LaMarcus Aldridge. He just signed with the Brooklyn Nets about three weeks ago after being uh, after being bought out by the San Antonio Spurs. Well, LaMarcus Aldridge just came out and abruptly announced his retirement from the NBA. And like I said, just a few weeks after signing with the Nets. Now, Aldridge cited medical reasons, saying that he's been playing with an irregular heartbeat and that he had to go to the hospital after one of the last games he played in. And he just is at a point now where he... Uh, wants to put family first instead of basketball. But LaMarcus Aldridge was the number two overall pick in the 2006 NBA draft, seven-time All-Star, 
two-time NBA all second uh, all NBA second team, three-time all NBA third team, and he finished his career ranked as the third uh, third-ranked scorer in Portland Trailblazers history and the all-time Portland Trailblazers leader in rebounds. So, kind of like Julian Edelman, I'm not really sure uh, Aldridge never won an NBA title. So I'm not really sure if his resume is going to get him into the Hall of Fame. I would say probably not. But he is still a very elite player, was a very elite player in his prime. And he will be missed in that Brooklyn Nets lineup. Now, fear not, because I still think the Brooklyn Nets are going to win the NBA title. They still have James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and of course Blake Griffin, who they had also signed. So they will be just fine in the playoffs. But Aldridge is definitely going to be missed in that lineup. But moving over to NCAA college football, Tennessee State Tigers, they have hired Hall of Fame running back Eddie George to be the next head coach of their football program. And Tennessee State's kind of following in the footsteps of what Jackson State did. Uh, Jackson State Tigers, they hired Deion Sanders this past year to take over their football program. Now, Sanders is in the process of of building that program since this is his first year and he's gotten some decent recruits and decent uh, transfers to join but Jackson State is a disappointing two and two through four games so far they're currently sitting third place in the Southwestern Athletic Conference so uh, it'll be Eddie George has no coaching experience uh, at least nothing uh, higher level than maybe uh, youth football but uh, he's still Eddie George. He's still a Hall of Fame running back in the National Football League. And um, I, I think, you know, given the fact that it's a Division II program, uh, I think they'll, you know, I think he'll be like Dion. I think he'll probably be able to convince a few uh, decent recruits to sign there instead of going to a bigger school and uh, maybe getting lost on the depth chart. But interesting to follow that. Now, quick zip over back to the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour announced this week that they are no longer going to require vaccinated players and caddies to get COVID tested weekly. And up to this point, everybody's been getting COVID tested uh, weekly before uh, before the tournaments. But uh, play, players and caddies that have received both of their vaccinations uh, 14 days after both of their vaccinations are no longer going to be required to be tested weekly. It didn't say how often they would be tested, but uh, they will not be tested weekly, which again, this is just another sign of return to normalcy. Uh, that vaccine is, has been said to be, you know, in the 90th percentile of effectiveness if, if you receive both shots. So uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good, pretty good uh, you know, success rate, much higher than the flu shot. So uh, I think that's good for the PGA Tour. PGA, you know, golf is an outdoor sport. So, you know, you don't really have to worry necessarily as much with golf as you would with, uh, you know, basketball, hockey, football, where the players are, are bumping into each other and breathing on each other and whatnot. So uh, that's good for the PGA to kind of relax on that. But uh, the last topic, I believe this is a first. This is the first time the WNBA has made the Sports Island podcast. And the WNBA draft was held on Thursday night this past week. And the top two picks in the draft belonged to the Dallas Wings, who also had the fifth overall pick. They had three of the top five picks. And this was the first time in WNBA history that a team has had both of the top two picks in the draft. Very interesting. Uh, That's something you do not see 
uh, on the men's side, really in any sport, is for two teams to have, uh, you know, the top two picks. But with the top pick, the Dallas Wings, they select the Texas Longhorn Center, Charlie Collier. So she gets to stay in Texas. She becomes the first Texas Longhorn female to ever get picked number one in the WNBA draft, and she is the second Big 12 player in history to take the honor following Brittany Griner in 2013. And with the second pick in the draft, the Dallas Wings selected six foot five post player Awak Kyer out of Finland. Six uh, five. That's a that's a big female. Uh, she's she's her everything I've read about her says that she's she's very good. Uh, she didn't play in college over here, but like most of the other draft picks did. But uh, interesting to know that uh, the Dallas Wings had three of the top five picks. Could you imagine if uh, a team in the NBA or the NFL or the NHL, they had three of the top five picks? Could you just imagine how uh, how quickly their franchise would get turned around? Um, I don't think that's the same success rate in the WNBA, but nonetheless, uh, they did get uh, three of the top five picks. So Dallas Wings have kind of been an embarrassment so far uh, since they became a program or a franchise just several years back. But hopefully this will get them turned in the right direction. But that is going to wrap up the 36th episode of the Sports Island Podcast. I do appreciate you guys listening to it. Uh, This podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. Um, Anywhere you get your podcasts. This podcast is also available on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. So uh, we look forward to another week here. Stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.